The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Thankful to be with you once again, and I do hope that you will continue to pray for me and for yourselves and for one another, that we be focused upon um, our risen Savior and His glory and His majesty. If you would please turn with me to Psalm 47. I had a couple of different psalms on my mind this morning, and um, I remember several years ago I was fretting over a, a time to preach, and I had three or four subjects on my mind, and I couldn't pick one, and Elder Mark Hossenmeyer, a very good friend of mine, he said, well, are they all in the Bible? And I said, well, yes. And he said, well, then just pick one. <laughs> and so I'm just going to pick one this morning, and I'll pray that this will be of, first of all, uh, give glory to God and be of benefit to this church as well. Psalm 47, and the subject that's on my mind is that uh, church ought to be a noisy place. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's that's the way to start it. Um, I was telling my, my cousin Terry, we were having a conversation the other night, and um, I reminded her of a, uh, an account that happened in my life very early on in my ministry. Um, I had the opportunity to go um, to the Mud Creek Association. They were meeting in Woodville, Alabama. The house was packed. There was a lot of people there, and uh, our Aunt Mita was there. And she only had opportunity to go to church one or two Sundays a month. And so when church was happening, she was there and she was all in. And I remember um, the brother was preaching and all throughout it, my Aunt Mita was, was, was shouting happy and, and shouting amen and yes, sir, and, and finishing scriptures and stuff with him. But then about halfway through the sermon, she realized she was the only person talking other than the preacher. And Aunt Mita is certainly a low ranch in this regard, or McNorman, one of those Irish sides to it. She stood up. We're sitting on about the third or fourth row. She stood up and turned around to the rest of the congregation and said, what's the matter with you? This man's preaching about the Lord. Then she sat down and started shouting again. Congregation kind of did for a little bit, and then they quieted back down as we have been taught to do by tradition of being quiet in church. I'll share another story that goes along with that. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, we were coming home from church there at Mount Perrin, and um, uh, I was very down because I had no idea whether I was making any good points at all that morning because the, the crowd was just deadpan, didn't know anything was going on. And I, I told Sister Terry, I said, I, I, I just don't know if, if my point got across because I said, nobody, nobody said anything. She said, well, I was saying amen on the inside. And I said, well, next Sunday I'm going to preach on the inside. So we need to understand something. The gift to preach is a gift from God. And when the Apostle Paul um, set out to Timothy and Titus the requirements for those that desire the office of bishop, he only mentions one thing in regard to their ability to speak. And it is not their ability to deliver a message. It's not their ability to show everybody how smart they are. It's that they are apt to teach. I've been teaching since I was 16 years old. My Uncle Sonny put me in a, in a junior high classroom. That's where I met Terry um, when I was 16. So I was just a little bit older than the kids that I was teaching. 
So I've been teaching for a long time. And what I have found is the only way that I know whether they have learned what I have taught is they tell me and they respond to it. And so what I've found when I've gone to the scriptures is we don't find this typical pattern of everybody being quiet all the time and being very reserved because we don't want to look like anybody else. We find that when people believe what they hear, they respond. This is what the Apostle Paul meant by quench not the spirit. If you believe what you are hearing and you don't say anything, you are quenching the spirit. Don't get mad at me. Paul said it. Don't get mad at Paul. The Holy Spirit told him to write it. So we are to respond. And so I'm going to go with the noisiest psalm that I can find. And it starts with, oh, clap your hands. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us. The excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. And then there's this word, Selah. We don't know exactly what that means, but it, David was a musician. I'm pretty sure it was a musical term. Selah at least means pause. And it means pause and think about what you have just said. And so song leaders, take a pause in between the verses. Let people breathe. <laughs> I'm not talking a couple of minutes. I'm talking there's an end of the verse, and then we come back in. David does that, teaches that to us. But he begins with, well, let me go to the title. If you have the titles in your Bible, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. This is for the sons of Korah because, see, David gave specific instructions about who's supposed to sing specific things. I'm so glad we're in the New Testament where Paul sets us free and says the whole congregation is supposed to be singing because I want to be able to sing. I don't want to just listen to somebody else do it. But David says this is for the sons of Korah. You recognize that name? If you know anything about the children of Israel, there was some fellows that rebelled against Moses and Aaron. You remember this? They were Who? It was Korah and his family. And God made a very clear understanding of who was his anointed to lead Israel and who was not. Anybody remember what God did? God did this. What did God do to the sons of Korah? The earth opened up and swallowed them. But if you look in the book of Numbers, there is a very interesting statement. And I folded this over so I could read it to you. In the book of Numbers 26, when some things are being recalled, the book of Numbers is important, by the way. There's a lot of names in there, but in the middle of those names, there's a couple of details that are very, very important to understand. Um, and in Numbers 26, verse 9, it says, And the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, and Dathan, and Abraham, this is the Dathan and uh, Abiram, which were famous in the congregation who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah when they strove against the Lord. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when the company died, what time the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. When we think of Korah, we think about that family being judged. But when we get that little bitty detail, 
the family was spared and they got the point. We find that the, the family of Korah became the chief choir that David used in the temple. They became the ones that um, were the leading of praise at that point. Their father and their family members were ones that had gone against the will of God, but when God judged that, they got the point. They saw the chastisement of God, but more importantly, they saw the mercy of God that the fellow standing right next to them went down in the ground and, and, hey, I didn't. What mercy of God. And so they turned their lives around and became the chief praisers of God. And so David writes this to them. So he's saying this is the guys that ought to be the loudest voices. And so he says, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. David does two noisy things here. He says, clap your hands and to shout. Why does he say clap? That is the most primitive motion of joy that human beings can do. Their hands don't make contact, but even the smallest baby, when they're happy, what do they do? Their hands start going like this. So David is saying, down deep inside, how you were designed by God to show joy, do it and shout about it. Don't be ashamed of what you believe because folks, particularly primitive Baptists, we shouldn't be because we don't claim to have any part in our salvation at all. So when we're shouting, we're not saying, ha ha, look what I did. We're shouting, look what God did. And that's what he says, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. When we don't clap, when we don't shout, when we don't sing, we are not singing the victory song that God sings. You know, that's all God gave you to do. He took care of everything else so that all you could do was sing praises about him and what he has done. Um, well, the other song that I had on my mind... Uh, let me turn back there real quick and get a couple of things out of that. It's Psalm 9. In this, David says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. David's not bragging. David is making a statement Regardless of what anybody else is going to do, I'm going to praise God. And he says, I'm going to show forth thy marvelous works. David says, I'm going to sing about stuff that I don't even understand. But it's a mighty work of God. You know, you do that. If you sing about the new birth, you know, Brother, Brother Matthew Arnold wrote a, an excellent hymn called The Effectual Calling that shows the examples of how regeneration works in a creation and in, and in a, a, a new birth a, a equating to a natural birth, that it shows that God had to do it all. The Bible tells us that God did that. And the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. He tells us what happened but we still don't understand it. So you just sing about it. It's marvelous. It's too high for us to understand. You know why it's too high for us to understand? Because we can't do it. And so we don't need to understand it. If we could understand it, then we could do it. So that tells me any doctrine that teaches that man's will or man's 
works, work in coordination with God to save us is not marvelous because you can understand it because you did it. What's marvelous? Something that you didn't do because you couldn't. You don't know how. You didn't have the ability. David begins the psalm by saying, this is what I'm going to do. And midway through the psalm, verse 11, he says, Sing praises to the Lord, which dwell in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. David said, when I go to church, it doesn't matter if nobody else is singing at all. I'm going to start singing. I'm going to fire everybody else up. David was not a priest. You made the connection yet? David was not the leader of worship. He was not the song leader. He was not the preacher. David is a regular fella. And when David went to synagogue, that regular fella said, I'm going to motivate the rest of the congregation. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the song leader's job. It's all of our jobs. If we come to church for everybody else to encourage us and to build us up, how selfish are we? We need to be considering the marvels of God long before we get there so that we're excited and ready to go that when the song leader says, anybody got a song, you hear 10 of them shouted out at the same time. Song leaders, let me help you with that one. Here's what I do. When I hear 10 or, or more songs shouted out at the same time, I pick any song I want to sing. You know why? Because I heard that in my head. <laughs> I heard, I heard this one. It just happened to be my voice saying it. But that's your opportunity to pick the song that you want to sing. But no, that is what we need to be in preparation for. Because also, what does David say here? It says, sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. You might find God in the marketplace. You might find God at work. You might find God at home. But it's an ironclad guarantee that you will find God in his house on Sunday morning. 100% of the time. And then he says, declare among the people his doings. What are we celebrating? What he has done. If we keep our mouths shut, if we take our exuberance and smash it down, then we are not giving Glory to the one that did it all. We are taking. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit came and when the Holy Spirit shows up in the Bible, is it a calm thing? No. Tongues of flaming fire. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Therefore, don't put that fire out. Don't subdue it. Your spirit is bearing witness with the Holy Spirit, which means your born-again spirit wants to do the same fiery things that the Holy Spirit does, which is give glory to the Father and glory to the Son. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, clap, shout, let's go. God is marvelous. For the Lord Most High is terrible. Don't be scared of that word. We kind of use it a different way today, but terrible sounds like terror, doesn't it? Because it is. It's from the same word. Well, we, but, but I thought Jesus was just, just kumbaya loving, hippie looking guy that loves everybody. Can I tell you, you don't want that Jesus. You want a Jesus that is a terror to his enemies and to yours. Because if he's not a terror to them, then he can't defeat them. 
But the fact is, he is a terror to his enemies, and he led captivity captive. I love that picture in Ephesians. This psalm is talking about the ascension of Christ. There's, there's no doubt about it. And part of that ascension of Christ is when he rose from the dead, he led captivity captive, which means he took the devil, he took death, he took sin, he took the grave, put them in chains, and is dragging them behind him as he ascends to his throne. When generals and armies come back from war, do they walk through the streets by themselves? Or does everybody show up and there's a ticker-take parade and the people that are delivered rejoice and celebrate it? That's what this psalm is about, is celebrating the victory of Christ. Do you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Celebrate it then all of the time. Let people think you're weird because you are. You're different. You know, yes, the apostles were speaking in foreign languages on the day of Pentecost when they were accused of this. But if you are serving the Lord in a right way, there's really only going to be two reactions. One of them, you are fulfilling what Jesus told you to do in the Sermon on the Mount, and others are going to see your good works and glorify their Father which is in heaven. The other one is they're going to look at you and say, you're drunk with new wine. If that's not happening in your life, you ain't celebrating God enough. Clap some more, shout some more, be happy some more. He is a great king over all the earth. I want you to notice something right here. David, several thousand years before now, said God is a great king over all the earth. David wasn't waiting for God to reign over the earth sometime later, and neither are we. We're not looking for a time where Jesus is going to come try stuff again because he did it. He finished it. It's done. So we have more information than David did, so we ought to be louder than David was. David danced before the Lord, and it shamed his wife. There's nothing in Scripture that says that David repented of it and tried to make his wife happy. Is there? He didn't care because he was giving glory to the Lord. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. Now, don't get arrogant on this one. That's what the Pharisees were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah to come in and put the Romans under them and let them be in charge again. This is not what it's saying at all. We have been made kings and priests unto God. And there is coming a time, at the end of time, when we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to answer for the things that we have done because the imputed righteousness of Christ has already been counted to us and he's going to say, come blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. It's not going to be a you deserve this. You're blessed of the father and he prepared the place for you. <laughs> it's all about God. But there will be a judgment of the wicked. There will be a judgment against Satan. There will be a judgment against death and hell. There will be a judgment against sin. And we will shout about God's righteousness when it happens. I don't know how that works. I just know that it's going to be that way. And so it's a fact. He's going to subdue that under us. Why? Because we're sitting on thrones with him. Not because we're so much better than they are by our own personal merit. 
but you know what? You are worth the blood of Christ. So you are worth everything. Being a public school teacher for many years, there was a lot of focus on uh, teaching kids wrong ideas about their self-worth. And the only true matter is, is the worth that we have is in Christ Jesus, and that's where your identity is. Then there is a marvelous verse next. Look at verse 4 here in Psalm 47. I've got this underlined, and i got a word circled in it. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Most Christian denominations teach about a choosing, doesn't it? I remember several years ago when um, uh, churches thought they had to come up with a Halloween alternative. I don't have any problem with the kids dressing up and going around and getting candy and having good fellowship with one another. Don't dress up like demons and dead things. That's, that's just ridiculous. Don't mm-hmm. celebrate the dead. Mm-hmm. But I've got no problem with a little 10-year-old kid dressing up like Batman <laughs> and eating a little candy. My point is this. is Back in the 80s, the churches decided that they needed to have Halloween alternatives. And so they came up with these carnivals. And there was a company that made a lot of money because they would set up an alternative to the haunted house. They would set up two rooms in the church building. One of them had the hell written on it, and the other one, heaven. And you give everybody an opportunity to go into both, and when you come back out, they say, all right, what do you choose? Which inheritance do you choose? And they guaranteed a 70% success rate in conversion. It was on their flyer. I read it. You know what my first thought was? Your hell ain't scary enough. (laughs) If it only got 70% of the people to repent. By the way, the Bible doesn't teach that we scare people into repentance. The goodness and mercy of God leadeth to repentance. That's what happened with the sons of Korah, wasn't it? And my good friend, Elder Dan Delmo over in the Philippines says, yes, you can scare people into following the Lord but you can't scare them into loving him. That's a work of God in their hearts. And so it's not about our choice of our inheritance. David even understood that the only way he was going to get a good inheritance is God chose it for him. We have that as well. And then he links it to a fellow named Jacob. Jacob is an historical figure. He's one of the, the, the forefathers in the in the. Uh, Jewish religion, he is a forefather in the Christian religion. But let me understand, let me help you understand why David invokes the name of Jacob or Israel many times in the Psalms. It's because God made a covenant with Jacob. And so when David invokes the name of Jacob and the God of Jacob, he is reminding us that the God who has saved us and has chosen us and has given us an inheritance is a God of covenants and he is a covenant keeper. So you're not shouting about a victory that's possible. You're not clapping about a victory that you have right now that you might lose later. You are shouting about the fact that God made a covenant with Abraham that as the sands of the seashore and the stars of the sky, so shall thy seed be. And that seed, Paul teaches us, is Christ. (laughs) So that the sons of Abraham 
are spiritual sons, and they're a great multitude. And they're not saved because they were Jew. They're not saved because they were Gentile. They're not saved because they made a motion. They have a victory because God made a covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. God passed it to, to Jacob. God passed it through so that even between Jacob and Esau, Jacob wasn't chosen because he did better or that God foresaw that he did. You know, Paul chose the perfect example of unconditional election with Jacob and Esau. I'm going to do this one of these days, but I'm pretty sure it's going to turn out this way. Paul chose that on purpose, mainly because election is a, the child of the promise, not of, of uh, earthly inheritance. But in choosing Jacob and Esau, we have Holy Spirit-inspired record of the life of Jacob and the life of Esau. And if I were to list from the Bible the good things that Jacob did and the good things that Esau did and the bad things that Jacob did and the bad things that Esau did, who do you think looks worse? Jacob. So it's not by anything that Jacob had done. By the way, that's not excusing sin. God chastises. Remember the sons of Korah? <laughs> He's a terror against sin. And if that sin's in our life, he becomes, looks like a terror to us. Paul mentions that in, was it Hebrews chapter 10, when he talks about forsaking the assembling of the saints together. He says, all that remains is a fearful looking for a fire indignation which shall devour the adversary. God's chastisement looks like the same wrath that he's going to use against the wicked and against the devil, because it is but it's in small portion. Back to our psalm. He shall choose our inheritance for us. Thanks be to God for that. The excellency of Jacob whom he loved. Wow, just bask in that. Then he gets noisy again. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Man, what a celebration song. God has gone up with a shout. Remember what I said this psalm was about? It's about the ascension of Christ. God is gone up with a shout. Really? Go over to Acts chapter 1. Because we have recorded in the scripture the ascension of Jesus Christ, don't we? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives instructions to the disciples. In Acts 1 and 9, it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which, said, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven. Here is the scene. Jesus is talking. They're quiet. Jesus gets done talking and Jesus starts going up. And it's silent. 
And what are they doing? They're doing exactly what you and I would do if somebody we had followed for three and a half years, somebody we know that was crucified, somebody we saw go in the grave, and now he's resurrected. We see him start floating. What are we going to do? <laughs> Gazing means your mouth is hanging open. Like, huh. That's what they're doing. In complete amazement and silence. But notice what the angel said. This same Jesus was as taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now the most fundamental lesson that we can learn from this is that the return of Jesus Christ is not going to be a secret rapture. He visibly went and he is visibly coming back in the clouds. But he's coming back in like manner. Was David wrong? It was silent. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 63. Because it may have been silent on earth. But it was not silent in heaven. Isaiah chapter 63. I believe this is what happened that day. When Jesus left the shores of Galilee. And the heavens opened up and received him. Who is this? That cometh from Edom. Now, they're not asking questions in heaven. This is put to us in a manner that we can understand. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thine garments <clears throat> like him that treadeth in the wine fat, I have trod in the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the vengeance, for the day of vengeance is mine, is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. I looked, and there was none to help. I wondered that there were none to help. <clears throat> excuse me, none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury, it upheld me. I will tread down in anger the people, uh, I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. When Jesus ascended to heaven, they said, who is this? He said, I have come in victory. There was shouting and clapping and rejoicing because their king had returned. Let me make sure you understand something. Angels that were not redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ shout and clap and rejoice that their king returned. You were saved by his blood. How much more should we be shouting and singing uh, a concept the angels can't even begin to understand? You know, they show up every Sunday morning because they want to understand why God did this and how he did it. And so they come. So that's what's amazing about the, the New Testament church. Angels are in the presence of God, but God chose to teach them with this group right here. How important is church? Oh, I can miss it. I guarantee you an angel that likes to come here to Macedonia Church never misses a Sunday because it's learning about his God. And they're not even saved by God. <laughs> they didn't need to be. They were elect angels. We needed to be saved. And so let's go back. No, let's not. 
Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We mentioned a little bit of this yesterday. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Y'all know this one well. David said God has gone up with a shout that there was a big celebration that happened. The men on the shores of Galilee, it is silent. But the angel said, as you've seen him go, he's coming back in like manner. We got to see this side of heaven. The other side of heaven, I think I painted a little bit of a picture of what was going on up there, that the, the king of glory returned from Edom and salvation was in his hand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 opens up heaven. And we see what happened on that day because it's going to happen again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. On that side, when the disciples were looking up, up in heaven, this was happening. And when the Lord returns, all that has to happen is the heavens open up. We're going to see something that has always been going on. There have been angels over the throne singing, holy, holy, holy. Ever since they were created. I don't know when that was, but ever since they were created, they have been singing, holy, holy, holy. And you think it was quiet him? No. It's a singing, shouting. Because it's great angels that are doing this, not these little precious moments, little fancy fat baby things. No, the angels of the Bible are great warriors. If one can kill 72,000 in a day and 185,000 in an evening, uh, that's, one, that's one of them. When Jesus said, I can call on more than 12 legions of angels, that's more than 6,000 angels. If Jesus had done that, there wouldn't have been a cross. The universe would have been gone. And they're singing. There's an order of them there that are singing. And when the heaven opens, we're going to get to hear it. So in the meantime, we ought to be joining in because they, uh, those angels and God can hear us, even though we can't hear that yet. Amen. But on that day, as the old spiritual says, in that great getting up morning, <laughs> the heavens are going to open and we're going to hear that there has been a trumpet going since that moment that Christ went back and that there's been a voice of the archangel, which I can think prove to you that's Jesus' voice himself, has been shouting, it is I. And what's he going to shout that morning? The same thing he told the disciples that day. Don't be afraid of the return of the Lord. Be not afraid, it is I. He's saying it all along. He says it in our hearts. He says it in his word. And on that day, we'll hear his voice saying, come. It is I. Be not afraid. One of the most startling and frankly depressing things that I ever realized was what was being taught 
in churches when uh, this was probably, I don't know, I may have been seven or eight years into teaching public school. And typically on our fall concert, I would do the music that the students had to prepare for contests and things like that. But then we'd always end the concert with a spiritual. I would sneak the gospel in there. And that one particular concert, um, I picked in that great getting up morning. Well, part of good choir teaching is you discuss the lyrics to the song to find out if the kids believe it and or understand it. And I said, how many of you have heard of the return of Jesus Christ? Very few raised their hand. And I said, okay, of those of you that have heard of the return of Christ, what do you think about it? Every single one of them was scared. They had been taught to fear their Savior, not love him. That broke my heart. And I said, oh, no, children, it's not that way. I said, this song says in that great getting up morning. I said, is that a fearful statement? And they said, oh, no, Mr. Lawrence, that's a joyful statement. I said, that's how you ought to look at it. And that's what David is saying as we anticipate this day. Jesus went up. We'll get to see that part. He'll be in the sky. He's not coming back down here. First Thessalonians says, they're changed coming out of the grave. We're changed and we're caught up together. By the way, that is a rapture. That's what rapture means to be caught up and it's all happening at one time. And it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. There, new heaven, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Jesus is not coming back to an earth that rejected him. He's going to hover over an earth and then he's going to burn it up in flaming fire. He's going to fold it up like a shirt, not toss it in the laundry. He's going to toss it in the incinerator. He's going to give us a new one. So clap your hands, all you people. Shout with a voice of triumph. But then I want you to notice, we're going back to, to Psalm 47. We'll close this out right here. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. It happened that day. It has been happening. We're going to get to see it on resurrection morning. We're going to hear it. John says, every eye shall see it. So what is our response to be? Count with me. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. This would have been a perfect place for David or for the Apostle Paul or Peter, somebody to take this psalm and say, this is the perfect time to teach folks they need to accept it so it's so. It would have been. If it was left up to us, except the fact that David said, no, it's complete in God. He chose. He did it all. So what's left? Sing. The Bible talks about praising God. And I mean, you can look at the rest of this. It shows that even the shields of the earth, it's talking about worldly governments. Am I concerned about Israel and Hamas? Oh, yes, I am. There's tens of thousands of lives that have already been lost. But I'll just put it to you honestly. On October the 7th, the first thing that went through my mind is I've got a 21-year-old son and a 17-year-old son. 
And I don't want them going over there. But when we back away and we realize that even that there are wars and rumors of wars, there is a God overall. And that's what we're to sing about. America may crumble. America is crumbling, folks. Let's, let's be honest. It's been crumbling for a time. There ain't a whole lot of it left that is a godly nation. But I don't think God's forsaken us yet. And so what do we need to do? We need to sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. You think David understood how to teach kids? You know, the Lord calls us his children, but more often he calls us his sheep. I've raised cattle. I've watched people raise sheep. My cows, when they run out of grass, they'll push through barbed wire to get to a green field. But I have literally seen a flock of sheep eat down to the dirt, green grass, and 50 feet away from them is more green grass, and they don't go over there. Why? Because they're dumb. <laughs> so the Bible tells us repeatedly the things that we need to do because we're sheep. We're forgetful. We don't listen the first time. And one of the most joyous things I find about the word sing is there are multiple ways to praise. I grant that. One of them's clapping. <laughs> one of them's shouting. There's not a single example in the Bible where people praised quietly. Not a single one. We are not praising God when we're keeping it to ourselves because part of the praising God is letting other people know what God has done. And we're not bragging that we chose God. We're, we're, we're bragging that God chose us. We're bragging on God. There's nothing wrong with that. So there's clapping. There's shouting. There's making great statements. But in one of these psalms, it says, In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. That's talking about Jesus, isn't it? The Apostle Paul quotes that in Hebrews, and he says, In the midst of the church will I sing praise to thee. So most of the time when the Bible says praise, it means sing. We're going to celebrate a service here in just a few moments. And it's a celebration. It's a triumphal feast. We only have one record of our Savior singing in the Bible. And it was immediately after he took communion and washed the disciples' feet. They sang a hymn and went out. And there's a 99.9999999% chance they were singing from the Psalms. And they were singing a portion of the Hallel. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were singing the victory of God on that day. They weren't singing about a possibility. They were clapping. They were shouting. They were singing praises the same ones that were already going on in heaven, the same ones that when Jesus went back, they were going, the same ones that we will hear on that great getting up morning. So what are we to do in the meantime? Sing. Sing today. Sing tomorrow. Let people wonder about you. Primitive Baptists, we have a precious, precious gift given to us that we still sing a cappella. One little story and then I'll sit down. I've only traveled out of the United States one time, and it wasn't to Mexico when I lived in Texas. One time I traveled out of the United States, I went to South Africa. That's scary. <laughs> but I get down there and they sing praises to God. 
there's been a lot of times that I've traveled. And one particular time that I traveled, I didn't know the fellow that I was going to meet on the other end. Facebook wasn't a thing yet. We didn't have pictures of one another. We couldn't text a picture to one another if we wanted to. But I got to the airport and like, how is this guy going to find me? Brethren, we have met too. The fellow heard it. Started singing. <coughs> we have something there that we share now that we'll share forevermore. Yeah. Sing praises. Clap also. Shout also. But it says in there five times to sing. May the Lord bless you all in my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.